Hi everyone, Josh and Ryan here. Welcome back to the Super Sem Podcast, the personal development podcast hosted by the youngsters for once. Research shows if you put a hundred random people in a room, somewhere amongst them, there will be just two truly incredible, inspirational people who are living their lives to the fullest. In this podcast, we bring those exact people to you week in and week out. Join us on our journey as we learn the secrets, routines and dreams of the two percenters. Today, we're joined by Ashley Ponder. Ashley is a 19-year-old food and health blogger studying sports science. In 2014, she created the viral movement, hashtag balance not clean, which encourages people to rally against food perfectionism, founded after her battle with anorexia nervosa. Since then, she has started the Balance Not Clean blog, which has amassed over 26,000 followers. She was also on Series 8 of BBC Radio 4's The Digital Human. We have some great conversation coming up today, from how to build a blog and engage an audience, to how to overcome your difficulties, set goals and go for your dreams. We talk to Ashley about her ambitions and future plans, and find out about her upcoming meeting with the CEO of Grays, the popular healthy snack brand. Keep an ear out for the return of the word association game, where we ask our guests to respond to 10 words as quick as they can. And stay tuned for Ashley's response to Stuart's question from the last episode. What's holding you back? How long have you been aware? And how are you going to fix it? So with that in mind, let's get straight into the episode. Hello. Hi, Ashley. Welcome back to the 2% podcast, second ever episode. How are you feeling? Um, pretty good, thank you. Good stuff. Right, so... Your sort of blog and success so far all started, from what I understand, from this viral movement that you started, hashtag Balance Not Clean, back in 2014. Do you want to sort of just explain how that came about and how that led to what's essentially a, a fantastic blog now? When I first started that, it was at a period of time when everyone was really obsessed with eating really healthily, particularly on social media. Like It would be very much like you couldn't even have anything that was nice or considered unhealthy without being some kind of bad person and at the time I was in treatment for recovery from an eating disorder so I was in a uh, recovery community online and I was seeing a lot of very vulnerable people being very upset by this pressure to eat a certain way and it was actually stopping some people from getting better so I just kind of because hashtags are how social media works um, I was just thinking that if I made something small like that where people could post it and whatever, um, they'd have somewhere kind of to call home where they didn't have to give in to the pressure to eat a certain way. And so it, it started from the eating disorder recovery community, but then people who are more into fitness, sport, etc., kind of picked it up as well. And suddenly it just kind of exploded and then everyone was using it. So was you intending it to be a movement or was it just a... No, it was more, literally, I was, I was 14 and I was annoyed and I just started it. Well, so it was, just a, was it just a one-off post, like, literally. and then you just attached hashtag balance? So literally. what was that original post that started? Um, it was, because it used to be quite a private account that I had. Um, it's actually the, the account before the one I've got now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was literally just an angry rant about how people are being forced to eat a certain way. And then I just put at the end of it, you know what, let's do something different and then let's eat balance, not clean. So that's how it started. That's how the best things start normally, isn't it? It's just, it's a, just by accident. As a rant or as, a, as an accident. Yeah, it was just ang- angry 14-year-old so rambling. How much, like, how much did that initial post pick up? Um, quite a lot. Uh, suddenly a lot of people within 
the recovery community were using it regularly in all of their posts. And although you would think that something like eating disorder recovery is quite a secretive thing, a lot of those accounts still have thousands of followers and it's a very tight-knit and engaged community. So although some accounts on like Instagram and stuff might have hundreds of thousands of followers, they don't get that much engagement. Yeah. But the thousands that were there is literally individuals that you were sharing your mental health with every single day. So it was a really, really close, close-knit community, especially at that point. So although people had um, perhaps smaller accounts than others, they knew that everyone who was following them was going to see exactly what they were posting, and that's why it picked up so quickly. So was it organic then? Yeah. Just the growth, just kind of... Literally, it's just people using it. Like, I didn't even really intend for it to pick up like it did. I, I kind of wanted it to just be a small thing as well, just within, within the community, but then obviously you can't control what any, anything you put online, so everyone started started to use it. So personally, like, how did that feel for you? So just something that you created in your bedroom, like for so many people to pick up on that message and to rally against food perfectionism, as you say. So like, did you feel you were successful in raising awareness and tackling that issue? Um, absolutely, and now it's, it's almost gone the opposite way in, in some ways, um, which again, I'm not, I'm not unhappy about, but equally it shouldn't, it's meant to be balanced, not yeah. clean, not eat junk, yeah, not yeah. clean. Um, so it's, it's kind of gone the other way now in some ways, but it, it did feel really, really good, especially when I saw it picking up and actually seeing people feeling happier and the messages I got of people saying that it, it genuinely helped them and finding other people who felt the same way, that was mostly what was helping people. That's what made me feel really good as well. So did it help you as well? Yeah, definitely, because um, obviously like my blog has been like a key part of me getting better as well. Mm-hmm. It's only more recently that it's become more of like a business thing for me, because um, it was literally a lifeline for me at the start, and having all those people like in that kind of community was incredible for me. So from that individual post what has that turned into now what is the the balance not clean blog um it's all about recipes that i come up with now because uh essentially i I want to come up with balanced recipes so ones that would fit in a variety of diets and lifestyles um hence why i I sometimes produce vegan recipes and sometimes produce gluten-free recipes high protein ones sometimes just do typical stuff that your mum would cook um it's literally a, a wide variety of things that anyone can pick any recipe that they would need for themselves rather than trying to prescribe a particular kind of diet on everyone. What do you think was the key driver for that success of your blog? So how many subscribers does your blog have now? Um, it's got 26,000. 26,000 subscribers? Yeah. Or like readers, is it? Oh, followers. Followers, yeah. yeah. So what do you think was the key driver? Was it that personal story or was it the, the strong message, the content? Was it- um, at first, it was definitely the personal story. Because that's why, that's why people still now actually, people I've met at Loughborough told me that they knew about me years ago before I, really? before I even that's came awesome. here, which is kind of weird in some ways. Um, they literally come up to you and they're like, I've literally seen you grow up. It's kind that's, of weird because yeah, I literally weird. grew up on social media. Yeah, so, yeah it's, it's been very strange actually. Any questions, Ryan? Yeah, I'd like to pick up on the name. So... What, what is a clean diet versus a balanced diet and how, how does that name that, as you say, started just with a hashtag, what's the resonance that, that comes with that? That was part of the irony of the whole 
the whole situation, and that was part of the thing that I picked up on when I first started it, was that clean doesn't really have a definition, yet people were expecting people to eat this way. Anyone who said that they ate clean had a different definition for it. Like, anyone who says that they eat balanced will have a different definition for it. But the difference with balance is that it can be tailored to you, and it's not about saying, I'm better than you, this is just for me. But the most sort of common thing would be refined sugars and, you know, all that kind of stuff. If ingredients on labels had funny names, okay. um, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And they don't realise that every food is made of chemicals. Yeah. Um, just because something's got a funny name doesn't mean it's unnatural. Things yeah. like that. Is that competitiveness quite a big thing within that community? Oh, then? yeah, absolutely. Everyone wants to eat cleaner. It's kind of... I kind of link it to... Um, religious views in some ways it's kind of the same line of thinking where people take it to an extreme um it's very preachy and um it's it's quite alarming to see actually because they kind of like it's quite culty in some ways so almost counterintuitive and that you're trying to yeah trying to help 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 each other yeah give advice but actually yeah it's taking health to an unhealthy extreme and in particular um i don't know if you've heard of it but orthorexia it's the obsession with eating clean Um, so it's not necessarily anorexia or bulimia or anything like that it's they could still be eating enough but the kinds of foods that they're eating and the obsession over what they're eating is such a consuming thing that they're still having a poor quality of life yeah that's interesting because you can definitely get too involved in like trying to be healthy and to the point where you sort of sacrifice your mental health in pursuit of this ideal physical self for eating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Loughborough is the Centre for Eating Disorder Research in the UK. And even on my course, um, you can definitely tell that, obviously studying sports science, that a lot of people have come from a background of being obsessed, myself included. And it's, it's kind of scary to see and scary to think that I might not have picked my course if it hadn't been for my mental health. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that that's a bad thing, I guess, because it means I'm now channeling it to something healthier, but uh, it's kind of scary to see how that shaped me as well. So would you say you are obsessed with food? Um, not anymore. Um, I've managed to relax a lot, especially since coming to uni, actually, because although sixth form, I was struggling again quite a lot. Um, just stuff like freshers, just going out, getting smashed occasionally. <laughs> it, it just puts things in perspective. Yeah, sure. Um, and you can always rein it in if you are going a bit too far one way or the other. I just have fun with it now, to be honest. Yeah. So how would you advise other people to overcome that obsession? Or even, so there's two extremes. How would you advise people from the eating lots of junk food, they're not eating clean at all, and then the super obsessed, like they're sacrificing their mental health? How do you, would you advise them to find that balance? Um, both... I think, in some ways, should consider help from professionals um, because obsession at either end can be very, very damaging and that's not always something you can solve yourself um, with a bit of nutrition advice. Um, but when it comes to coming from sort of very much nutrient-devoid food, because I, I don't really want to call things unhealthy, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but... Say, for example, foods like cookies, etc., they're, they're not very high in micronutrients. They're very high in energy, so they're very micronutri- like they don't have very many micronutrients. Um, whereas, say, for example, broccoli or whatever has loads. And some foods are more filling than others. 
Um, and that's where people have an issue often. If they're eating uh, very calorie-dense foods, they don't fill them up, so they eat more. Um, at the other end of the scale, if they're just eating very, very clean foods, they're avoiding things entirely, obviously they might not be having these foods, not because they're full up, but just because they're scared of them. So um, if someone's eating very micronutrient-dense foods all the time and they're scared of having unhealthy foods, I think it's just a case of trying to incorporate something daily that's small um, and try not avoid adding labels to food, trying to avoid emotions actually. I find that the more emotional you are around your food choices, the more likely you, you are to be obsessed with it because um, that obviously then you're picking things because of how they make you feel mentally rather than how they make you feel physically. Um, that being said though, you do need to eat sometimes because you just want something because, you know, you're stressed, you want some ice cream. You've got to be impulsive yeah. sometimes. Yeah, being impulsive sometimes is actually a really good thing because it is part of being human. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you don't indulge that, it can send you a little bit yeah. crazy. Um, also, if people are trying to eat more balanced in terms of adding sort of more micronutrient-rich foods but they still really like the things like cookies, etc. That's where making recipes that are similar to their favourite foods, but obviously aren't the same, mm -hmm. that, that way they can enjoy food still, but not... Is that what your blog aims to do? Kind of. Yeah. Um, but I still give people the choice between original recipes and sort of the alternatives. Okay. So if someone's trying to spread any sort of message and... Uh, create a blog from scratch and scale it from zero to 26,000 readers, what would be your sort of three key pieces of advice? You need to have people engaged with you to start with. Um, before I tried starting a movement, I was just sharing my recovery story, so people were interested already. Mm -hmm. If you're a complete unknown who tries to share a message without any kind of personal link, people won't care. Yeah. Um, so you need to share the personal link to start with. And then, if you can, a small engaged group of people who will consistently share the message. Um, whether that happens by accident or whether you recruit them, I don't think it entirely matters. But I think if it happens by accident, often it's more sort of generic, like it's more genuine rather, okay. uh, not generic. Because um, if you recruit people to share a message, it can come across as quite fake and yeah. structured. But if you get something that people genuinely believe in and they believe in you, um, I think you can start any kind of movement you want. Okay, that's good advice. Do you want to move on to the next section now? So this is a section that we call in the uh, word association game. We're going to chuck ten words at you and just okay. within like three, four seconds just come back with the first word that comes into your head. So we're saying the words are random, but they're kind of not. We've picked words to... Yeah, okay. it get yeah, some interesting. Just to provide the conversation, you know. Okay, so, first word knowledge, power, <laughs> friends, support, food, tasty, exposure, publicity, university, learning, sadness, loneliness, sport, enjoyable, fulfillment, success. Internet. Connections. Stigma. I guess restrictive. Restrictive. Awesome. 
Okay, so the first one I'll probably pick up on is the obvious. Stigma at the end. It's probably the only one that took you a bit of time to mm. think about. Let's zoom in on that a little bit. So you said restrictive. What made you have a think about that one? Um, I think it's two things really. Because obviously everyone's idea of stigma is that there's a connotation attached attached to an idea or concept or something. Um, and it, so it can be restrictive in that people won't share their problems if they feel there's a stigma attached to them. And I very much believe that if you share a problem, you have it. <laughs> so yeah. and the more you share a problem and the more help you get from as many people as possible, the more likely you are to find a solution. Um, but the other part of that is that by focusing too much on the stigma of something, you don't focus on the actions of how to move forward. And um, by that I mean mental health awareness is often about confronting stigma when now we need to move beyond confronting stigma because I think the conversations have been opened and it's time to start talking about what to do rather what than the next steps, what what's the actual is. actions rather yeah. than raising that awareness. Yeah, so I stigma it's itself can be restrictive if we just stick with looking at stigma. Yeah, if you allow it to especially in the context of mental health just to just to be about the stigma yeah for sure so you want to pick up on anything? yeah so based on what you just said about um, problem shared as a problem half solved sort of thing you also said that it, you say the word you linked with internet was connections so does that mean that was that your your blog sort of your way of connecting and sharing these problems to solve them essentially yeah absolutely because um, actually when I was really really unwell and not complying with treatment I had another blog um, where actually I was connecting with people who were encouraging me to be more ill but then I found people through that who encouraged me to join a different kind of community with people who would actually support me and then it was literally the first 60 followers I had there were 10 people out of that and there was one person in particular actually I remember um, she's got children now and I literally since I started my blog I've seen her like have children and stuff but she would comment every single day encouraging me to eat more because at one point I couldn't I couldn't eat 25 calories more a day I was eating 500 calories a day and the thought of having 25 calories more was terrifying and I couldn't do it but every day she'd comment and make sure that I was like trying and complying with it and I honestly think without those people I connected with on the on the internet I wouldn't be here because they just understood because they'd all been there before mm-hmm. and like yeah. especially adults they'd already been through it and they were like moving on with their lives so they were literally life changing just yeah. from the other end of yeah. the computer yeah because I didn't know anyone in real life and I don't think even if I had I don't think I could have talked to them the same way um, mm. you can be a lot more vulnerable when that, does that privacy online so yeah and um, obviously I, I didn't even share my face with my blog for a couple of years, I was just kind of a, a person that no one really knew what they looked like or who they were. Um, it took me a very long time to muster up the courage to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but without those connections, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here, I don't think. That's great. Can you just go back to what you said about, so the, what did you mean by there's a community that wanted you to be iller? I don't know if you've heard of it, but the pro-anorexia community. No, if you can call it a community. Um, they're very secretive websites or part of websites such as Tumblr. They have hashtags and things that are 
not like hashtag pro Anna because places like Instagram ban them for obvious reasons. So they use secret hashtags and it's essentially people sharing very triggering messages that make people want to hurt themselves, essentially. Um, and it's, it's actually extremely scary. And often, um, you know, like internet trolls, yeah. I sometimes think it's, it's a lot of that going on as well. Okay, yeah. Um, they're, they're encouraging people who are vulnerable to do things that they aren't doing themselves. Right, okay. Um, I never encourage anyone else, but I was encouraged. Okay. Um, it's kind of, it's, it's really sad, to be honest. Yeah, that, so, so that was obviously a very, like, dark place, but yeah. how, did you, how did you come out of that? Um, because people who were in recovery knew that these kind of sites and places existed, mm-hmm. and they would purposely go on there and message people and encourage them to get help. Okay. So they're kind of like putting themselves at risk in a way by seeing Exposing all of these messages that, yeah. and things. And they'd often get hate back from these kind of people who would encourage that. Um, it is very, very disturbing. Um, and I, I, I can't look at it now. Yeah, for um, sure. So you've actually had quite an extreme relationship with the internet in a way. Yeah, and both, very, both very extremes. Much. Both sides. Good yeah. and bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Thinking about exposure now, your first reaction, publicity, you know, I think that shows really, that's a really positive message that actually, mm-hmm. predominantly, that exposure and that, as you said, the engagement especially, uh, one-to-one can be really, really important. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also you said, like, friends for support, so I assume, are these friends from Built Online, or is that... Um, online and in person. Yeah. And now at Loughborough, some of my online friends, now some of my best friends here. Mm-hmm. So, because um, in some ways as well, it's quite funny when you've had the same kind of mental health background, when you meet someone for the first time, even if you don't know, you're immediately on the same wavelength and you just click instantly. Um, and then you end up finding out later that you've both been there and it's, it's very, very strange. Um, but you just, you're on the same wavelength straight away. But... To start with, it was definitely online support that helped me, but then later, because um, obviously, especially with how much weight I lost uh, at school, it was quite plainly obvious that there was something wrong, yeah. and eventually I had more support from my friends in person as well. Um, I've always found, though, in some ways, online support can be easier. You can have more frank conversations in some ways. Because in person, often people are very afraid to talk about it, or you yeah. can be very, very afraid to ask for help. Um, I'd also consider, though, places like CAMS, it's the Children and Med- Ad- Adolescents Mental Health Support Service. Um, my therapist became a friend as well. Um, but then she retired, and that's actually the only reason I left. Um, but she definitely was a friend yeah. at the end. So going on to food as well, you said tasty. My question would be, Obviously, you have such a big involvement with food and stuff. The first word that came to mind was tasty. A lot of people would say, like, eating clean or eating balanced, they have a problem with the taste. It's not tasty. They want to eat this junk food because yeah, they, they look, they look beyond taste. Because when people take eating clean to the extreme, they almost feel like taste is something they don't deserve and that food has only one function, and that's to fuel you. Yeah. And I think that's losing part of the the joy of life in some ways because 
there's so many like social occasions that are revolving around food like Christmas Thanksgiving yeah. like Easter food yeah, is sure. something that yeah. humans have enjoyed for basically all of Time. Yeah, all of society's <laughs> existence. Yeah. And it brings people together. Um, and just because something is tasty doesn't mean it's necessarily going to impact your health negatively. Because mm-hmm. um, you can make all food taste well if it's cooked well. Yeah, in terms of knowledge being power then, or certainly those who have knowledge being in a powerful position, how do you feel now where you're in a position where you've gone through this, this journey and now you're maybe in a position where you can give advice to other people through your blog or connect through your website yourself. How does that feel? Um, it feels really good. Um, it's, it's a big responsibility as well, though, because although you might have knowledge of how to get through things in your own personal situation, it doesn't mean you have the knowledge of how to apply it to everyone else's situation. Um, something I've spotted a lot online recently is people selling eating disorder support services when they're not trained therapists or yeah. um, psychologists or anything. That's, that's very dodgy. Um, I don't like that. You can support people as a friend though. And where I think knowledge really is power is having the knowledge of who to refer to and who to ask the right questions with because then you can have a network of people and that's when you have all the knowledge you need for things. Yeah, I think on an individual level, having emotional intelligence is really important. Just be able to, you know, if someone was to come to you with a problem, you can then just say, okay, fine, I'll try and give you the best advice that I can, but actually I think you should go and talk to this person, go and talk to that person. It was actually um, very difficult for me at one point, though. Uh, In year 12, uh, it was quite soon after I'd been on BuzzFeed, been on BBC, I'd had loads of news exposure. And at one point I was getting nearly hundreds of messages every day um, of people telling me their problems and asking for help. Yeah. And I did have the knowledge to help everyone, but I didn't have the mental energy to support everyone. And I actually had to push people away because I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it. And that did impact me negatively as well. Um, I actually had a really, really bad relapse in year 12, year 13. Um, because of how stressed I felt that I couldn't support all these people despite technically being in a position where I could. But it's since then that I've realised that it's not my responsibility to help everyone in that way. I can help people generally and I can refer people out, but I shouldn't have to support everyone individually. Yeah, well said. I think that sums up that section. Yeah, so do you want to move on to... So I saw you the other day in a meeting and you said... I'm broke at the moment, I'm waiting for payday, I've invested all my money into uh, my business plans. So I actually wanted to go a bit deeper into that and just ex- explain uh, what, what are these business plans and what is the future for Ashley? Um, right, so my business plans while I'm at university, I'm going to be selling protein brownies on campus to start with and maybe beyond if it picks up. Obviously Loughborough is very sport oriented. Um, But at the moment, I think the offering in terms of protein supplements is, again, it's very along the let's sacrifice taste with performance. We're all AU, let's go and be TGB. Yeah, Yeah, I don't care if it tastes like shit, you know. (laughs) um, Whereas I want to encourage people to have that enjoyment, hence protein brownies. Um, Loads of protein bars are protein brownie-like flavoured, but a flavour isn't the same as being a brownie. A natural brownie. Um, And the new recipe that I've come up with 
Initially, it was 11 grams of protein. Um, a typical protein bar has about 20 grams. Um, I've raised it to 17 grams, which is much, much closer. Yeah. So then it's still going to be very close to an actual protein bar, but it's going to have all the taste that every protein bar doesn't have. So that's the plan. So how do you go about like developing a product like that? Um, when it comes to developing any recipe, it's very much a mental process. I don't really write anything down. I just kind of think it in my brain, the different kind of components of a food, like the texture. Um, I even go down to kind of like biochemistry level in some ways now. Um, if I'm using like sugar replacements or something, I'll literally research what kind of reactions that they can undergo and um, whether or not they act the same as sugar and mm-hmm. what I can replace things with. And then it's mostly a case of trial and error. Um, so when I was developing the protein brownies, obviously the first thing is to lower the calories versus a normal brownie. Um, so you start looking at things like the butter and sugar in a normal, in a normal brownie and you look at ingredients that you could use to substitute those. And then it's a case of trying different ingredients that are cheaper because obviously it has to be financially viable as a business. Um, And then you have to go change more ingredients to see if you can improve the texture. Uh, And it's it's very much a very long process of trial and error. Um, I was making brownies for six months in my flat, pretty much. Not every day, but most days. Yeah. And uh, some of them were so terrible, they just went straight in the bin. <laughs> some of them were great, and my flatmates ate them pretty much immediately. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, really, it's just loads of trial and error. Yeah. Okay, so how do you have that confidence to invest in an idea? Because like, you must be getting through a bit of money to keep spending on the millions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so it's quite scary, to be honest. How do you sort of think... You know, I, I believe in myself, like, this is worth spending my money on. Um, I'm a very goal-driven person. That's actually part of the reason I got so unwell, because I had this goal in my mind that I was going to lose all this weight, so yeah. I did. Um, okay. And once I have a goal, I kind of don't give up, even if I fail. So it's like, I know that even if I fail, I'll still find a way somehow. Sorry, so just stopping you there. So there was that... Um... When you got down to that such a skinny level, you lost all that weight, was that like an achievement to you? Was you happy once you reached that stage? It's... If that was your goal. It's kind of a sense of temporary achievement, but then because of the obsession, you just want to go further. There's always and the next goal. Yeah, next goal. Yeah. yeah, you always push it further, and that's obviously where it becomes lethal. Okay, yeah. Um, but then my goal to get like was to get better, and then mm-hmm. suddenly I was getting better because I'd set a goal to get better. Yeah. So that so that's essentially applied to all aspects of your life, growing the blog, the business plans, you're very goal-driven, and if you want yeah. something, you'll go get it. I like to think that I'm always five steps ahead. Um, I've always got things planned out. Even if it's not formally written down, I'm always putting things in motion because um, there's opportunities for stuff everywhere. Um, so even if you don't achieve it within the next six months, you just get the ball rolling so that eventually you can pick it up again. Yeah, and I know as a as a person, if I don't have a goal, I'm very prone to do silly things. Um, I quite recently, to be honest, I I didn't I didn't really have a goal at the time, and just going out, getting drunk all the time, you yeah. know, just completely lost lost my sense of purpose. And when I I need a goal to keep me focused, yeah, because that in itself is motivating to me. How did you come to the idea of 
the protein brownie business? Was it from the idea of, I love to cook, I love to bake, let's try and create something, and then, oh, here's an idea for a business, or was it, I'd like to create a business? Um, now where? It's sort of more come from a bigger picture of what I wanted to do when I graduate, because um, my brother and I wanted to start kind of a Chipotle-style balanced food restaurant where it's fast food but it's um, much more balanced high yeah. protein get your fruit and veg in but I obviously realised that starting up a restaurant chain needs a lot of money yeah. <laughs> and you have to start somewhere getting the money in and so I was just sort of thinking well what's something I could do small scale and what's something that people would want on campus that I could do and then obviously I came up with the protein brownies. Um, and then from there, you can extend the product range. And then you can start protein bakeries. Cookbook. Um, and obviously the whole extensions. idea of balance. Um, the name sort of branding scheme. Uh, Bake Balance is the brownies. Um, Balance.clean's obviously my blog. So Balance again is there. Bistro Balance is going to be the name of the restaurant chain. Yeah. <laughs> the gyms that I want to open up because having my own line of gyms is literally my ultimate life goal would okay. be build balance so I like it because yeah. um, I've got it just sort of a theme that I want to carry on um, and I basically want to dominate the entire health and fitness industry but that's quite a lofty goal when you say it out loud so I'm starting with protein brownies oh, I love it I love start, the ambition start yeah. small build up you know? yeah. like you say it's all about time yeah. And if you get started with something small and then that builds up, like my blog started really small and although in some ways I've sort of eased off with my blog a little bit at uni because I've been working on things like the brownies, it's given me so many connections that I can now do other things. Yeah, whilst well, outside the university. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, obviously I was just, I wanted to enjoy offline life um, as well because obviously my blog took up a lot of my life going, going through school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've sort of maintained it more than focusing on building my blog here. That's interesting, because I've said to Ryan and a few of my friends before that I think coming to university and the connections that I've made have been more valuable than my actual degree. Oh, no, so I agree far, entirely. Yeah. 100%. yeah, I'd agree. I 100% that. agree. Yeah. Like the opportunities that have come out of people from like the clubs and business societies and yeah. Uh, yeah, mentor, the mentors and yeah. stuff <clears throat> been invaluable compared to learning lecture slides and then regurgitating <laughs> it in an exam yeah. a few yeah. weeks down the line yeah that's that's why I think it's such a shame when people only do their course and don't engage with wider university yeah, life because that is where you learn it's a waste of time yeah, if you just do that yeah um, so when you said you're five steps you like to think you're five steps ahead all the time it, it, ahead of what ahead of yourself ahead of competition myself yeah, I've all, I'm always, I don't really care what the competition does in some ways because I know that when it comes to the time, I'll do it better. <laughs> so, um, so I feel like I'm very thorough. I'm quite easily distracted, but at the same time, I'm very focused. It's, I'm, I'm very much a person of extremes. That's also, again, why I started Balance Not Clean because I am the ultimate person of extremes. So yeah. I needed it myself more mm-hmm. than anything. Um, so, yeah, I'm ahead of myself. And I'm, it always gives me something to strive for, because obviously with my mental health background, part of that was feeling kind of aimless, lost, not knowing what to do. Yeah. Um, and if I do find myself feeling like that, I will go downhill again. So it's always 
keep something looking for that I can look forward to, and keep something that I can keep striving for, and it it gives me a sense of purpose. Yeah, hundred percent. Goal setting helps so much in terms of feeling not just productive but actually happy in your well being as well. Like work, you feel you're working towards something. Yeah, definitely. <coughs> I mean, I, I I carry a little notebook pretty much everywhere I go, and I'm always writing down goals, tick lists, things to do, and it's just. For me, that gratification where you just take something off, it's like, right, oh, it's done. Yeah, brilliant. Like, yeah. that's brilliant. I love having paper checklists just for that yeah. feeling of ticking just to, it. Just to cross yeah. it out and just go, right, next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and making a new list yeah. as you finish your other list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah, I like doing that. Um, but yeah, goal setting is very important. Like, it's interesting as well. Like, I've felt happier in this exam, in exam period when I should be feeling stressed. And oh, no, I agree entirely. I felt yeah. more, ha- more happy, more productive than I was few weeks before when I just didn't really have anything to do yeah yeah I so agree I was just yeah. wasting my time. mood has gone up so much since exams yeah. have started literally because yeah. it's just structure I'm waking yeah exactly structure yeah. I'm yeah. waking up I'm doing structure routine going to the gym yeah and makes you feel so much better than just lazing around and watching doing YouTube nothing. or whatever yeah. yeah so that's good um you obviously got a lot of ambition you've seen a lot of opportunities and you said earlier opportunities are everywhere how do you how do you identify those opportunities and how do you pick which ones are the right ones for you? Um, obviously, because I have that kind of long term plan of what I want to do. Yeah. Because uh, I look at the final step rather than looking at the first step. I then work backwards, and if I find that there isn't a logical progression between some of the steps, I will find an opportunity that makes that possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll either find someone or something that will help me get there. Like, for example, I want to open my own gym, so what's the first step? I need a personal training course, so I can start working as a personal trainer and get that kind of background. Yeah. So I'm doing my personal training course in September. Um, nice. And that's just kind of, again, the first kind of step into things. But before I decided to do a personal training course, I decided I was going to do sports science because then you can get personal training courses much cheaper. Because um, if you do it outside of sports science, you pay three grand rather than 700 quid. Oh, nice. Um, so I've. Well, so you get a discount for being at university on that course? Yeah, it's pretty much any, any um, sports science course at any university. Oh, okay. um, but I knew I wanted to come to Loughborough when I was 16. So mm-hmm. again, it was like, I'm going to get through this French GCSE because I want to go yeah. to Loughborough. Yeah. I absolutely detested studying languages. Um, it's always just thinking about the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that difficult pushing through something that I don't really enjoy in favour of something that I will down, later down the line. Yeah. Just because I think I just get caught in my head and I'm like, I'm not enjoying it. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a piece of work, whether it's, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I definitely just get better at that. My motto is discomfort is temporary. Discomfort is temporary. And then, um, but rewards last a lot longer than any kind of discomfort, so... That's a very, like, gym health-based quote, isn't it? Like, yeah. I suppose that's how gym works, but isn't it? I, I like to use discomfort rather than pain. Okay, yeah. Because pain is different to discomfort. If something's genuinely causing you pain, then yeah. you need to consider your short, like, short-term kind of health well, as well. Being, yeah. So on opportunities, you've got quite an exciting one coming up, meeting the CEO of Grays, which is the sort of uh, healthy snack company in the UK at the moment. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Um, Well, with my blog, um, the 
first time I started eating chocolate again was one of their tiny little chocolate button snacks. I literally haven't eaten chocolate in <laughs> ages. And their snack boxes again. Because um, uh, when I was so obsessed with everything, I literally couldn't eat anything unless it was in a pre-portioned kind of packet. It sounds so strange. Right. Like Now I'm just like, why? <laughs> um, it was really, really odd. I literally couldn't eat fruit and veg unless it was in a pre-prepared bag. Yeah, and my, my weird, twisted logic was that... It's, it's still kind of business-related, was that a business won't give you too much because they'll lose money. So I could right. always be very clear in my weird brain, not wanting to eat too much, that a pre-portioned packet would not have too many calories in. Mm-hmm. So I felt safe with things that were um, weighed out like that. So Gray's boxes, I was a customer mm-hmm. for two years um, to start with. Um, still am now. But um, I eventually submitted like my story to them and they, they loved it, obviously. The, their snacks had helped someone basically turn their life around. Yeah. Um, and then when they launched their ambassador program, about a year and a half later, I was the first person invited. Oh, nice. Because obviously I'd, wow. I'd kept posting all their snacks and things all through my my blogging and I was using their snacks and recipes and stuff and all my food photography. Um, so was, they have 50 ambassadors around the world and I was, I was number one. And they kind of send like new snacks they're coming up with and stuff. Um, they keep getting sent home though because uh, I didn't change the address. <laughs> Mum kind of appears at uni with like a box of random stuff. Um, and then because I got quite a personal relationship with them, obviously emailing back and forth, making recipes for them. Um, I got to know them more kind of as friends in some ways and so I literally just sent them an email explaining what I'm doing and whether or not I could have an insight of how they do it at Grey's and they said yes yeah. so <laughs> again it's it's making opportunities not just seeing them yeah because um, if there isn't an opportunity generally if you ask someone you can make it oh that's great so you'll be um, your intentions then is there will be your, your competitor one day yeah, it's quite funny in a way. Um, <laughs> Are they aware of that? <laughs> I, I think they will be. Um, but what Grey's have done in the past is they have taken other brands and they have distributed them okay. via their snack boxes. Okay. Yeah. So that could potentially be something. Like an initial partnership um, before you yeah. knock them out of the water. Um, I think a bit of healthy competition is good anyway. Yeah, like, totally. Sure. Um, as much as... They might be worried that I might be more successful than they're anticipating. I think it would still benefit them as a brand for people to find out that they helped me. Yeah, yeah if you've um, got a relationship. And I think brands beneficial. can work together because I was contacting a few other kind of brands. Um, there's one called Coco Plus. They do protein-enriched chocolate. Um, and obviously, chocolate chunks in a brownie. That would be perfect. But... Yeah. Um, there's a lot of companies now that kind of send a variety of protein bars by post because um, so, people want a selection, they don't want the same ones all the time. And I was sort of wondering about doing a chocolate-themed hamper of things, of protein snacks, including my brownies, including my like um, other things that I come up with in the future. But as well as, as well as that, I want things like Cocoa Plus's protein bars and maybe a few Grey's products in there as well. So I think collaborations between brands is a good thing. Yeah. I, d- I don't think competition is ever bad. I don't get how competition could ever be bad because it just makes products better and better. You have to just do better than everyone else 
And that means that everyone wins, so... Yeah, unless you get blown out of the water by the competition. <laughs> yeah, but then that just makes you work harder, so you're not. Yeah, for sure. No, it's definitely it's definitely good for the consumer, for one. Yeah. And then, I know what you mean. Personally, it makes you work harder. Constantly grafting to make sure you're beating your competitors. Mm. Yeah. And okay. if, you're not, if you're not beating them, then you work with them, so you both succeed. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next part of the, the podcast, which is more of a question session. So every time we have a guest on, we ask them to leave a question um, or questions in this case for the next guest not knowing who they're going to be. So first of all, we're going to read you out uh, Stuart's questions from last, from last episode and then Josh has some um, questions from the internet as well. So Stuart asks, what's holding you back? How long have you known and how are you going to fix it? For me, it's self-doubt still. Although I come across as extremely self-assured, um, when it comes to my personal life especially, um, I'm very still full of self-doubt. Um, but to overcome that, um, I'm being more open about it. Um, my friends are very much aware um, and I'm having conversations about it. And I'm just kind of pushing myself out of my comfort zone like I do with my other areas of my life. Mm-hmm. So just applying what I've managed to succeed with in other areas of my life to the part I'm struggling with. So you've been aware of it for a while? Oh yeah. It's, you're continually... Yeah, I think it, it, it's always going to link back to my mental health in many ways. It's going to be a lifelong thing, I think. Yeah. But um, I think just never giving up is part of the oh. end battle. Well, thanks for that question, Stuart. We, we enjoyed having you last week. We hope that Ash answered it just as you wanted. Um, we're now going to move on to some questions sent in by listeners, and then we'll have a quick one from uh, the internet. So, Ben, age 17, sent in, uh, what are the best platforms from starting, for starting and spreading a message, and how do you effectively target uh, particular audiences using hashtags? If you have very visual content, then Instagram's the obvious one. Because it's a lot easier to produce high quality photographs than it is to start a high quality YouTube, for example. It takes a lot less time to edit. Yeah. Although you're going to be thinking a lot and setting up shots and producing content, and that obviously still takes time. Um, I feel like the learning curve of becoming a good photographer, mm-hmm. or at least an adequate photographer to build up an audience, is a lot lower than becoming a good videographer. Um, so if you've got visual content, definitely Instagram. Although, saying that, with Instagram's changes to the algorithm, um, so it's no longer chronological, they kind of only show your posts if people um, are interacting with them, kind of thing. Right, yes. Yeah. Uh, they, they do favour new accounts now, so if you've got a new account um, on Instagram, for example, you want to post regularly right from the start, because Instagram will favour your new account. Okay. Um, in terms of targeting people, um, hashtags, basically you can just search for the sort of trending hashtags in different areas and niches. Um, but for food, you can also just kind of experiment. So just hashtag food obviously has millions. Yeah. Um, but if you want to find a particular niche, um, hashtag healthy food will obviously bring it down. Um, hashtag high protein. You yeah. know, you, you just, you put very general ones to start with. And then you refine it to your particular message because that's then when you get engaged followers. Because mm-hmm. um, the people within your niche are the ones who are going to engage and then that's obviously what's going to improve um, posting engagement in general. 
Um, got written content, WordPress, Tumblr, they work. Um, they do the job. Or Facebook even now, because uh, of the posts and pages function. You could skip entirely using something like WordPress and then you've got a massive platform at the ready that pretty much everyone uses just to share your content. Uh, webinars are becoming more and more popular. Whether or not people really go for those, if you're an unknown, yeah. um, that's probably not the best thing to start with. Uh, yeah. Okay, great, thank you. And then Harry, this is an interesting question. Harry, age 20, sent in. Do performance enhancing drugs have a place in sport? Well, if you consider something like caffeine as a performance enhancer. Yeah. Um, I think where the line needs to be drawn is, of course, anything that, especially when taken by a relatively naive individual, could cause harm. Yeah. Um, and where manipulating things like testosterone, red blood cell count, um, puts some people at an advantage that other people aren't having. Um, I think it shouldn't be in competitive sport. But in kind of a scientific curiosity, it again, the whole... My whole ethos is I like pushing limits. I wouldn't personally want to push my limits like that, but there is part of me that's curious to see where could humanity go. Are, yeah, yeah sure. it's It's more of a curiosity than an actual reality, I think. So I don't think it should ever... Especially illegal ones or ones that are banned. They're banned for a reason. They're banned oh, for yeah, for sure. But the what's things such as like vitamins, painkillers, like protein shakes. Even what's your thoughts on that sort of? Um, vitamin supplement, like protein shakes, etc. Obviously, I'm I'm biased. I'm starting a protein brand. Yeah. Business, of course, people. <laughs> um, I think whole foods and a a rich diet should be your go-to. Um, you shouldn't have to rely on a, a pill mm -hmm. to make up for what you've got there. A supplement, not a replacement. But when it comes to painkillers, actually, I think it's quite worrying that some people are pushing themselves so much in sport that they have to rely on painkillers to even participate. That's quite scary, because yeah. um, yeah. obviously people can get addicted to them. Um, but things like just supplements, if they're used as a supplement, I think it's fine. And then we've got one last one. So this is a bit of a, this is from a Reddit uh, self-improvement forum where people submit like their own questions or problems and uh, people try and help them. So I've just taken one. Uh, it's titled, I have no friends or strong relationships uh, by a guy called Dan uh, the Pagan God is his username. And it says, I'm really lonely and I haven't had a strong, consistent relationship for a while now with anyone. I have no friends or anyone to talk to about my problems. Most people avoid me or simply don't like me. People tell me I'm toxic and just make me feel unwanted. I have no idea how to make friends or how to form any kind of relationship with anyone and would love friends. So... Based on your experience um, with sort of mental health struggles and, you know, the importance of connections, what would be your advice to Dan? First of all is to not give up because the kinds of people I'm friends with now are very different to the kinds of people I was friends with then. Um, so even if he doesn't have a close relationship right now, doesn't mean he won't in future. Yeah. Um, because you can change the circles that you're, you're in for definite. Also, he obviously has a lot of self-doubt, cringy coat. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Okay. And if, if he feels, and if he's internalised all these things, like, oh, you're toxic, he's half convinced himself. Mm -hmm. 
And so other people are going to see that and how he carries himself and how he communicates with people. Although it is very easy for me to say, or it's very easy to talk to people because I'm naturally very extroverted. So yeah. if someone's less less extroverted, um, it can be very difficult to, to just spark up a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good thing then that he's on somewhere like Reddit, to be honest, because you can make extraordinary friendships online, um, whether it's through like online gaming or... Instagram or whatever you can or a food blog yeah exactly like you can uh, I think it's focusing on interests in some ways you need to find common ground with people yeah um, it's very much like people who want to get in a relationship so you shouldn't go for a relationship you should go for a person because you have common shared interests with them not so, just a relationship for the sake of it you mean yeah. yeah, so if he wants to have friends and close relationships, he, he should look for people who share his interests. And if he doesn't have any interests because he's feeling very low and insecure about himself, then that's where he needs to start, I think. But equally, it's important to acknowledge that self-improvement shouldn't be necessary to be comfortable with yourself yeah. um, in some ways. Because I think there is a danger sometimes that always forcing yourself to improve, to be liked by other people or whatever, is a very perfectionistic idea. Mm-hmm. And you need to sometimes just be happy with how you are. Just going back to the, your vibe attracts your tribe quote. So, I think on the contrary, like some of the happiest people I've met have such a positive self concept of themselves. Like I think if you exposed if you exposed it to normal people, they would maybe class it as arrogance even. But it doesn't matter because they're so. Ha- they sort of create this self-concept of themselves as they're, you know, they're funny, they look like, you know, they've got great friends. It doesn't really matter if people think they're arrogant because really they're, they're like the happiest people. Yeah, um, it's quite funny really. My, my friends sort of half-jokingly say that I'm a person that's full of such self-doubt yet I'm one of the most arrogant people they know. <laughs> um, which is a massive oxymoron um, in yeah. many ways. But it's because I do... When I'm in a, my right frame of mind, I come across as one of those people who has their life in order, is enjoying life, knows what they want to do, is doing it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm full of all those doubts. I think this whole idea that confidence is arrogance is very, is very toxic. Um, I think it, it can often be applied to women slightly more in some ways, because women are typically expected to not come across as arrogant or bossy um, and it's, it's used in a quite a derogatory way but the same can happen for guys as well that being happy with themselves is arrogance I think it's only arrogance when you're putting other people down mm-hmm. um, if your happiness is bringing other people up that's not arrogance that's confidence 100% yeah it's okay it's okay to be confident in yourself and I think you should be yeah, like, yeah for sure. being self-assured means you can help other people as well exactly um, yeah Every time, as I said, we ask our guests to leave a question for whoever's coming after. Have you got anything that you might want to ask, whoever it might be? Um, They're going to be really inspirational. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's the biggest challenge you see yourself overcoming in the next five years? Ooh, and then nice. where do you think that will then take you? Okay. And where will that lead? Fantastic. Great. Well, that wraps up this episode of the 2% podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for having me. Of no course. Worries.
Well, that's it for another episode of the 2% Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed recording. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, we'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch. Also, we're developing too, so if you liked the episode, give us some love on social to support the series, and if you didn't, let us know how to improve. Stay motivated, follow your dreams, and as always, do it with a smile.